This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at Auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. My name is Jeff Welkley. I am your host today and I am here with the ever wonderful and ever bald Justin Schwartzberger. Hey, what's going on? We have these vegetables, Brocky. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Good to see you, Mike. And then, of course, Olivier, cool guy, Cole. Hey, guys. Getting ready for uh, Angular Connect's 80s uh, party night. Yeah, exactly. And then, also, we have um, with, with us uh, Josh Moont uh, joined us, uh, who is a organizer of Angular Connect, but he is on a somewhat uh, bad connection. Uh, so we're going to see how this goes and... Uh, if, if he can, he's going to throw his commentary in about things as we kind of go along the show. Uh, welcome, Josh. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Sorry about the connection. Right, that's good. Hopefully, um, I'll be here throughout the show. Otherwise, um, I'm sure you guys will be able to um, take over. Yeah, I think it sounds uh, good without the video, so uh, that should be good. So today... We're basically going to go over a couple things. I wanted to. We, we've kind of been off for a little while. Uh, I had uh, some problems actually last week. So I'll, I'll get into that. <laughs> um, but I wanted to talk about you know a couple major things going on in the Angular community, and then you'll get into Angular Connect as well. But first, uh, you know, I like to periodically go around the panel and kind of see what everybody else has been up to because I think that gives a good indication of you know what what's been going on in the Angular community as well. Um, so, Olivier, let's start off with you. you know, what, what have you been working on? What have you been up to? Um, we're on, almost ready to publish our website in Angular 2. Uh, we have, like, two weeks before the release, three weeks maybe. So I'm working out on the, on the loose ends. And um, the compiler, lazy loading with the, with the router and stuff like that. So, yeah, working with a nice... Uh, Angular 2 uh, stuff that you can do to optimize your website. Are you uh, you're using Angular Universal for part of your app, right? Uh, not for this one. For another one, yes. That's great. And uh, actually, this touches on one thing that I wanted to um, talk about later, but I'll bring it up now. That uh, I feel like a lot of people, Olivier, are in basically the position that you just described, that they've been kind of building something for a little while, and now that Angular 2 is, you know, officially released as of uh, what's been a week, week and a half ago, something like that, a week ago, um, you, you, people are moving towards at least getting things in production if they have not already. Uh, are you guys seeing that same thing? Are you guys starting to hear from people, you know, uh, complaining about things breaking or, uh, I don't know, uh, saying how good things are? You know, what are you guys hearing? I kind of see things as being a uh, trickle down right now. So the, the big release happened sometime last week, updated my application to uh, latest release, and I was happy and excited. And then I slowly noticed all the dependencies that I had at the different libraries as they were starting to roll their changes up to be the latest to get all those things updated to latest. So I see that uh, being a trickle down. I think a lot of libraries, at least the popular ones, have already been updated to final, which is nice. 
Yeah, you know what lags though? Uh, it actually, you just reminded me of Mike. Is like the tutorials, like the actual written um, blog posts and other things. Uh, there was actually one guy who contacted me today, you know, about the CLI actually, because he was following a tutorial from like a month ago that was written, and then he's like, "Wait, this isn't working at all," <laughs> and he's like totally confused. I'm like, "Yeah, they gone through some changes." Yeah, that's one of the things that we've been um, struggling with. Well, not struggling with, but working towards is improving our docs as we're getting ready. Um, obviously, Angular went final, but the CLI is not. Uh, but as we're trying to work towards that on the CLI uh, to try and get uh, the docs up to speed, and this way all the documentation reflects the latest uh, versions that are out there. And then Justin, what about you? Are you getting any uh, apps in production for Angular 2 stuff? Yeah, so we're, uh, I mean, we've been along this journey since, you know, alpha, actually since Angular 1X. And, and so we just kind of rode it all the way along, uh, went through the changes and have been, and have been adapting. So I've kind of just been on the same track. Um, one of the things that we're, I'm working on right now is really trying to figure out this uh, NGRX story in an application and, and how it plays out into, you know, for like this Redux type of pattern and store and your state and how it plays out when you traverse through components and how to make the decision of, do I uh, have this kind of controller component that works with the store and then uses inputs and outputs to flow things down to child components? Or do I have the child components or every component um, work with the store and access the, the slice that they need from the store and then dispatch actions and, and react to changes in the store with observables and stuff? So we're really trying to figure out that pattern. Talking about like the dumb component, smart component thing? Yeah, to a degree in terms of how, you know, if you take on something like this Redux or NGRX, like we're, we're focusing on NGRX, right? And we say we have a store for our state and we have slices to the store. You know, you have this, this chunk of, of this part of data or that part of data. And you want to really have that pattern of saying, I, I want to dispatch actions, right? Uh, to the store that then I can have this flow of where all my actions go through and then this change of the state that then everything reacts to and look at it and go, I could create these dumb components per se that take inputs and outputs and they then can do the change detection with their input change. And then, but then there are also have, they, they, you kind of make the decision. Do I have outputs from those things and say, I have a click button on it. Do I make an output that says my button was clicked and then some other overlaying controller component go, Oh, you were clicked. So now I'll, I'll be the one that dispatches the action. Or do you go all the way down to the, the child component and say, Hey, that button's clicked. That thing will actually dispatch the action rather than the flow up. And, you know, yeah, you know I, I, it seems good in theory, like the whole thing of dumb components where you, I mean, in the true sense of like the, the way it was originally intended, it's my understanding that you would bubble up those events for like, you know, the, the thing that's handling the click is actually a higher level. Right. But um, I think this thing that you probably are alluding to is the fact that uh, it's kind of annoying to do that sometimes because right. it's just like all this extra cruft and like, um, you know, you just want to do it right there, right? Well, and then <laughs> you if, you're, if you're three layers deep, you're just bubbling up. You're actually wiring up to three different events and bubbling that up. And that's all you're really doing. And, and it, are you getting a benefit out of that? You know, we kind of looked at it and go, well, the benefit is you kind of have a component that maybe is a little more testable and a little more isolated that you can work on it. But could you still get that? Even if all that thing took in was the store and all that component did was dispatch actions and then maybe subscribe to store changes so that it can react. And it, it has that. And then you, you could mock out the store that you give it and, and it still allows you to work on that individually sort of thing. So 
Yeah, I'm super interested to know how you guys eventually rest on that continuum of, you know, uh, trying to do things the or uh, the alternative. So yeah, definitely let me know about that. Uh, Olivia, we, we sort of went in a different direction there. What what else is going on for you other getting your Angular two app into production? Um, so uh, yeah, we had the the same problem with uh, the store and the events and stuff like that. So we decided to use um, a really small store, not NGX, which is, uh, in my opinion, too complicated uh, for what we want to do. Um, what else are we working on? Uh, we included the hot module holiday, and that's really, really nice to do. If you have Webpack, it's easy. Um, um, I just updated to Webpack 2 and TypeScript 2. Uh, which was just released uh, like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so that's nice. Um, and we are working hard on uh, uh, D3GS uh, graphs. Um, I think that Austin talked about it last time. Uh, we've been working on a library uh, for Angular 2 and D3. So, yeah. I'm deep into, into this. Yeah, well. all sorts of stuff going on, Olivier. Holy cow. And you didn't even mention uh, preparing for Angular Air at uh, Angular Connect. Yeah. All that. yeah. Look at this camera and this mic. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, oh, you do have a mic. I was going to say, yeah. I, I was going to bring one. Oh, yeah. All right. we, we can cry both and see. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that looks pretty fancy, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Anything else going on, Olivier? Um, yeah, I've been working with um, the doc team uh, for Angular um, to release a guide for IATN. Um, it was supposed to be released with Angular 2 last week, but we had a bit of uh, a rush at the last minute, so we decided to postpone because we need um, the AOT guide. Um, it's still in process, so. But this should come out soon. It's going to be cool. Cool. Looking forward to that. We're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam. Extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Uh, all right, Mike, what have you been up to? Is, is uh, I've heard that there are some changes in the CLI recently. What is going on? <laughs> so, yeah, there's been a little bit of uh, things in flux um, for a while, probably since about July. Uh, most of the main development has been on a Webpack or an at Webpack release to NPM. So if you install just Angular CLI, it would pull the System.js version, which hadn't been updated since July. As of early last week, that was updated. So everything that was happening and all the fun, exciting things with Webpack uh, in the at Webpack release or the tagged release on NPM has now been moved over to the default install. So I'm happy to say that the build process and everything for the CLI has moved over to Webpack. Um, and it was, what was it released uh, East time? It was about 10 o'clock at night, Angular 1 final. And I think within half hour, an hour, we were live with a version of the CLI that supported the Angular 2 final. 
So while the CLI, like I said, is not final, um, we are supporting the Angular uh, final release, or I guess the 2.0.0. I guess it's not the final release. There's going to be a lot more releases, but the initial uh, non-beta, non-release candidate release. Very cool, very cool. So, oh, go ahead, Justin. And I got to say thank you for that. I mean, a lot of people are appreciative of the fact that, you know, that was one of the concerns. Okay, as soon as Angular goes final, like, are these other tools and stuff going to be in line and we're going to get them at the same time? And so to see the CLI all ready to go at that point was was super awesome. So thank you to everybody that worked on that. Appreciate that. Yeah, there were two of us that had pull requests uh, ready to go that night. <laughs> awesome. It was just a matter of uh, choosing which one, because a few other versions updated, not just Angular Final, but also Zones got bumped and a few other things. So keeping everything in sync and getting things ready to roll. Cool. What, what else has been uh, going on with you, Mike, other than uh, the crazy C- world of CLI? Um, same thing as Justin, trying to figure out best practices and how to things, make things not only just efficient in terms of code efficiency and performance, but also how to best architect our solutions to be able to um, make sure that the different events are handled in the appropriate places, whether or not, like uh, Justin had mentioned, whether or not you're going to bubble things up or handle things down in lower components. And I think that basically boils down to how specialized those components are going to be. Is it going to be a generic toolbar button or something, or is it going to be a specific toolbar component? Uh, where you can dispatch directly from those components. It depends on how uh, specific your components are and how reusable they are. Yeah, and it's funny. At the I was at the NativeScript conference last week, you know, and they and they did a lot of Angular stuff there. And I'm, I'll talk more about that conference in a minute. But it was interesting that one of the most um, highly questioned and, and discussed things with, was data management was you know, how using either Redux or NGRX, you know, in different ways, state management, you know, all, all that stuff of getting your data and, and how you handle it in your app. Uh, I feel like uh, it'd be great if we could like fast forward a year and like go through all of the inevitable like ups and downs and issues and like, they, they, someone finally figured out the ultimate answer and then we could just like use that, right? Um, totally. Unfortunately, we have to like, go ahead and build our stuff, uh, just trying to all feel that out at the same time. We're all trying to solve the same problem, right? Like, why, why can't, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, uh, it, it will, I'm confident that eventually there'll be like a best practice that we all kind of do the same thing, but clearly everybody's like still in this phase of, you know, reaching and figuring that out. Yeah, and, and I really like commend the uh, style guide team that's uh, working on the style guide that's on angular.io. Uh, to take that leap and try and come up with best practices before or as you're trying to create applications at the same time to work through what are the best practices and what can we recommend, knowing that things are going to change, whether it be uh, how we set up routes or how you organize your components and then the whole thing with modules dropping relatively recently, Um, how to best use those, how to uh, structure your application using modules. So I think there's a lot that figured out stuff. So clearly they, they made the big change in RC5 to add NGE module. And uh, one of the, uh, the main reasons was, you know, to be able to organize your code in such a way to allow for lazy loading and, and some of the other dependency stuff that they wanted to implement. Um, but do you guys do you view that overall as a, a positive change or more of like an annoyance that you had to like, up, it broke all your code? 
I think that it, you know, it, I think it fits well. I think it plays out well. Um, my buddy Jamie and I, we talk about how it kind of almost felt like, and he brought the point up that it feels like we had modules in Angular 1 and then in Angular 2 we didn't have modules and now they're back, kind of just like Angular 1, you know, sort of thing. Uh, so there's that interesting caveat. Um, but I think one of the things that played out with it that was a little bit challenging is to take that moment to really wrap around, okay, this kind of dictates a difference of, how components are used within other components. Like, how do you flow that in? Like this, you know, now this thing has to be imported in, and in, in this declaration for this module, and then it's available there. Uh, do you have a concept of something available to the entire application if you just register it at this level? You know, we had that global, um, um, like the core directives and stuff like that that you could add multi to with the providers and then get them throughout your entire app. And now you kind of you have to bring it into each model that you want those particular components to flow through. But then the whole concept of where the uh, providers live and where those get registered in the dependency graph um, and how they all, no matter what module you're at, you're defining things that are for that module, except for providers, which go into this global space, except for when you're lazy loading, then they get their own instance. So understanding and figuring that stuff out and, and then applying that to an application you already have written that doesn't have the modules and refactoring that and make sure all that stuff is playing right took a little bit, but I don't think it was too bad. Um, and I think it is a pretty good place that we're in with it. Yeah. As a developer, I like, I like the new modules. Um, I think that they bring a current uh, um, a structure to the application, but as a library <laughs> developer, I find them really annoying because I get a lot of issues of people who don't know how to include your lib, how to uh, make it work with lazy loading, with uh, AOT and stuff like that. Um, I keep repeating over and over and finding new cases where um, they don't really work as you can expect. Uh, for example, let's say that uh, you have two modules with different routes. Um, Sometimes if you don't declare the module in the right order, then uh, the root um, for the router can be overloaded by one of the modules. And if you lazy load, then uh, it depends which module is, is loaded before the other one. So it depends where, where your application uh, starts. And stuff like that can be really difficult to debug. So you're um, saying that we can run into the same types of naming issues that we ran into with Angular 1? Um, I don't know if, if it, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for example, one of uh, our lib uh, exports uh, the command module, and um, some people had a problem because they already imported it in another module, and they had a conflict uh, with the name. So... I think we still uh, lack some experience with the modules, so we'll see. The thing I find the thing I find most interesting with the ng modules it sort of illustrates in my mind some of the pure essence of Angular in relation to like how it differs from other frameworks. In that, you know, the the goal there is understandable that like it, it enables these things that are super powerful, like to 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 be able to very easily do lazy loading uh, is like awesome because if you ever tried to implement that yourself, it can be like a super big pain. And, you know, just being able to create that sort of structure is like super powerful. 
but the, but the tail side of it is that like this type of thing where in order to do that, the, the trade off is that you sort of have to adhere to like an Angular API, which at, at first, like Olivier is sort of pointing out to, you need that learning curve to get over, right? And that, that sort of trade off. Um, so that's always that thing that you you hear other people who are like, you know, let's say in the React world, that's like maybe or or other frameworks where it's more down to like raw JavaScript. That that uh, you don't have the much same power. You have to do everything yourself, but at least you like there's no magic going on or whatever. So it's like uh, it's good and a bad. I, I think. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that in a good or a bad way. Uh, it's just like a difference and. And, and to be honest, most of the time I prefer the extra power because, you know, it's just a matter of getting over that hump of, like, learning the API, and then you have that ability, which is great. I don't know. I, I mean, do you guys agree or disagree? I, I think that, I mean, that this whole power thing, that's that's one of the aspects of uh, Angular as a platform is it's it gives you the power to do a lot of stuff, right? But now you're kind of making a bunch of architecture decisions, right? And with all that power, you actually have multiple ways you can architect things and still make them work. So now it's, I think a lot of people are searching for, well, what is the best architecture way that I should do this? And, and who's going to tell me, is there somebody going to tell me that? Or do I just discover that on my own? And, and do I just start using this, these powers in these different ways and I shape it one way and that works. And then I, I say, I need to solve this case. Oh, now I need to kind of architect it a different way. I have all of the tools to do everything I need to do, but what is the, the best way to put it all together. Well, I do think from that, like that will be something that there is a bigger emphasis on, you know, right from the start with Angular 2 that wasn't there with Angular 1 in terms of like trying to create convention, trying to create sort of standards. You know, in Angular 1, there wasn't any, even a style guide for the longest period of time. And now we have a pretty strong one. And with the CLI, you know, we're starting to kind of codify some of those common best practices and standards so that, you know, it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, this unwritten rule about you should do the things this way, but it's actually kind of baked into the framework itself. So I, I definitely think that some of that will start to work out just over a period of time. We're going to break for a moment for a message from Angular class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. And then, uh, Justin, was there anything else other than, you know, building your Angular 2 app that you, you've been up to lately? You know, that's, that's probably the, the most of the stuff, you know, and digesting all this stuff and really kind of feeling the same relief that I imagine the Angular team feels about this journey of finally having it, you know, final, stable, released out there. You know, again, there's so many of us that took that journey with them, you know, that rode with these code changes that experienced that. And, you know, just as much as all of us as developers wanted that release out here, um, we're also all kind of, you know, excited and relieved that, that, Hey, that day is here, you know, and we get to now kind of just forge ahead and and feel good about now let's make these decisions. Let's make these final decisions in our app of how we're going to write it because we know that now that the API is final, right? Yeah, I mean, one interesting thing with that that, um, I mean, I've thought about a lot of times before, and we can move on from this subject, yeah, but uh, to bigger and better things. But it does always remind me of, like, the whole thing of, like, just shipping it. Like, because you know, when, when all of us are building products, there is always this tendency to 
want to kind of keep on building, like almost to infinity, like to keep on improving things. And it's so hard to draw that line and just to like push ourselves to put out there an imperfect product. And I, and I can, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like how there's, there's such, um, and, and I mean, I, I'm not saying that uh, we did anything wrong because I know that the community is so demanding. And when you put something out, as we're seeing now, as you put something out, you know, for official full release uh, for everybody to use, you put yourself under a certain amount of scrutiny. And so you have to like make sure that everything is kind of in line and, and whatnot um, to degree. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I'm not sure whether there could be anything different or whatever, but I'm just saying like, I, I feel that in my own products that I build that like, you know, the fighting that desire to keep building and making it perfect versus just getting it out there and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's out there now. So <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, some of the negativity that's come out of uh, the amount of changes that occurred through the uh, release candidate phase uh, will hopefully start to die down um, that people were complaining about the struggles of, well, there's a lot of changes. There's been a whole lot of uh, deltas from one RC to the next and to be able to keep up with that. But the one thing that we need to remember as a community is if you're dealing with pre-release, pre-release software and you're dealing with the bleeding edge is that it's actually you that's doing the bleeding. I heard that quote a while ago and it's so true. If you're going to try and use something before it's actually fully cooked and released, there's going to be growing pains with that. And you have to be ready for that if that's something you want to take on. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, so, Josh, the other big news other than the release is next week is Angular Connect. Uh, so I would imagine that pretty much everything you've been doing has been kind of preparing for that. Um, what, what, but what have you been you know, specifically up to the past kind of uh, week or so? You there, Josh? Oh, I might fall asleep. Well, I'll pretend that he said that uh, he's been trying to figure out with all the people complaining about how many good sessions there are and they're all happening at the same time. Because that was the first thing that I wanted to <laughs> ask him about. What is your plan be, um, like attending these different sessions? Because literally I'm looking through the schedule right now and they have like not only like a dual track of talks, but they have like some workshops that people are running and then office hours and, and QA. I literally want to split myself into three and then like be able to go to all of these. You know, what's your plan for, for what you're going to do um, during the time, your time there at the conference? So I didn't even look at the schedule because I know that I will uh, end up in the hallway uh, filming people and stuff like that. Um, so I will probably watch the, the videos later. Um, but now that you mention it, some of these workshops look really interesting. So we'll see if I have the time, but I don't know. I'm I'm really waiting for uh, meeting all the people that I like, uh, see Carmen dance at the party and stuff like that. It's going to yes. be cool. Yes. The 80s party, which is what you kind of brought those glasses on to begin with, it's, it's going to be 80s themed and 
I'm sure some Bon Jovi, some other stuff. Hopefully, is it, um, Josh, is there going to be karaoke? Because 80s karaoke is the bomb. There will be karaoke. All right. I think that's a requirement from now on at all Angular conferences. I love karaoke. It's going to be great fun. Can, can you guys give us a sense for, for those that haven't gone to Angular Connect or, or don't really know too much about it? Like, like what is the level of this conference and what does it mean? I mean, you know, can you give, give us kind of a sense of that? So the idea of the um, Angular Connect conference was to be more than just another place where we have great speakers. We actually wanted to create an environment where developers can actually properly connect. And so um, this year we're going even further than we did last year. So uh, last year we had the two main tracks and then we had um, other things going on. Um, this year we've actually tried to level it out. So we've actually got five tracks, which we're um, giving as a sort of an equal playing field. Um, the two main tracks, again, will be live streams. So people who aren't able to make it will still be able to see the great content we have on the two main tracks. But then for the people that are actually able to come, we've got um, three extra tracks. Um, track three, which is going to be uh, mini workshops, which are going to run over the two days. Um, we've got track four, which is our office hours space. Where How about you, you help can... me? Sorry? There, Josh, you cut out for a minute. Oh, sorry. Where did you get up to? So we've got track three, which is our uh, mini workshops, which are going to run through the two days. Um, and then track four, which is going to be our office hours space, where you can connect with the speakers and other experts around. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. And then also um, a track five, which is going to be some hosted panels of Q&As um, with different uh, focus, focusing around different topics like architecture, uh, user interface, testing, uh, mobile and progressive web apps, and security, um, I think. But um, if you go on to the website, um, angularconnect.com, we've got a full schedule there, so you can plan your day. And again, if you're not able to make it, those first two tracks, one and two, are going to be live streamed and also available to watch almost straight away afterwards as well. Yeah, about the Q&A, um, I just want to tell or to the viewers and people who are listening to this, uh, if you need, an, a, if you have a question that you want to get answered, uh, just ask me or ask at Angular Air and I will do my best to get the answer for you from one of the speakers, uh, one of the Angular team. I'm going to try to to get your answers and, and film this with my my new camera. <laughs> so what is it? Yeah, so that's another thing we're doing um, at the conference. We've got lots of extra stuff happening around um, even those five main tracks. So um, Angular Air are going to be um, on site going around like Olivia said, uh, doing Q&As. Um, and also we've got um, like chill out spaces. The idea is to just try and create an environment where um, the developers can connect in whichever way they want to and build up those kind of relationships and um, discussions, which are um, the real value of being able to come along to Angular Connect. 
So I, I do have uh, one request that, you know, it is like extremely hard to um, split it to decide on a lot of these uh, tracks, like which, which one you want to go to or whatever else. The worst, in my opinion, is right at the end of the first day, at the same exact time, is Shy's talk and Carmen's talk. Carmen's talk, because I've been already talking with her about it. I'm, like, super interested or whatever. But it's killing me that I can't go to Shy's talk, because as good as it is Shy's talk watching, like, on live stream or on video, being there in person is, like, the best. So, like, you guys are killing me with this end of the day. What I suggest, we put a, we put a hold on Chai's and then put it, have it run during the 80s contest. Um, I don't know. I am just brainstorming here, but figure out some way to make this happen. The, the issue with scheduling is always a challenging one, and... As best we could, we didn't um, put things that people, the same people would want to see against each other. When it comes to Shy, you know, you really can't do much about that. You're going to have to put him against someone. Um, but I think that um, on the whole, like like we said, um, they're, they're being live streamed and available to view straight away afterwards. And we believe that, obviously, if you're there, the real value of the conference is to actually maybe even do the other, the other tracks um, and, to, and to watch these things afterwards um, because, you know, the opportunities to um, have Q&A in office hours with the speakers, I think it's really valuable. Yeah, I agree. And actually, um, one thing that's reminded me of is that I, I did notice in some of the uh, speaker uh, information that you guys sent out is that there's going to be like a green room like there is, you know, last year, which, which is useful, but... You know, I, I did, uh, I got sort of uh, indirectly um, admonished by Joe Eames after last year, so I didn't really say something directly to me. But a- after the conference, you know, he was uh, sort of complaining about the people who just stayed in the green room the entire conference and, and did work. And I realized that, like, that's basically what I was doing <laughs> because I had so much going on at that time. I was just trying to keep up or whatever. I, I sort of learned my lesson there and, like, I do think it's an important thing, you know, for, for the people that are speaking to be actively, even when it's not their Q and A time or not like the time they're speaking, to like go out and talk to everybody in the community. Really try to you can. So uh, hopefully, I, I, would, I think it's uh, also yeah. Go ahead. I think it's valuable both ways. I think that people in the community um, appreciate that contact. I think also speakers and the people, you know. Um, from the team really appreciate being able to get feedback and insights from the community as well. So it's a great opportunity, I think, for both both sides. Yeah, especially knows that they won't ask when is the release of Angular 2. Exactly. Seriously. <laughs> um, so Josh, last question for you is like, I'm curious, what is the thing remaining? So obviously... We're a couple of days away now. There's got to be some something that's still raining that you guys are like super uh, worried about that you, you're just hoping that it still comes together. Or is it the case that like everything is all done? You don't have to worry about anything. It's like piece of cake. 
Well, we have a great team. We work with um, White October events who are um, super organized. And um, on the whole, I think we're actually really, really good and in a good space. Um, we had um, panic last year with um, the gift, which was the uh, Google Cardboard, which didn't arrive until the last day. So we've learned from that and we've got a really cool gift we're giving away. I won't give too much more about it, but um, it's something quite exciting um, that we're giving away this year, but it's all arrived and all ready to go. Uh, is, there, is there a hoodie? Because I remember um, Pete at NGCon saying, uh, we will get the best hoodie and it will be even better than the one from NGCon. Maybe that, that's a... Uh, we have... We, We have a very friendly rivalry with NGConf um, and we're always trying to up one another. But I think that's actually quite healthy because um, it pushes us to try and get the best conference. Um, in terms of hoodies, um, I'm not 100% sure whether our one is better than theirs. Um, but uh, we do have a hoodie for the speakers um, and some really cool T-shirts for um, the uh, people attending as well. Cool. Yeah, that is one thing. When you go to these types of conferences, you have to like go with like a half-packed bag because you get so much swag, yeah, like uh, at least 20 T-shirts and all sorts of other stuff from the from the different uh, vendors and, and sponsors. So uh, that that's usually a lot of fun. Um, we're also organizing a hackathon um, on the first night alongside the party um, with Progress. That's um, Uh, created a native script um so you can see details of that on our website as well but that's quite exciting and there's some cool prizes coming with that cool thanks josh and uh, speaking of progress that's actually a good segue into the next thing i wanted to discuss which was uh that this past week on monday and tuesday i actually was at the uh, progress is the company that owns Telerik, and Telerik is the company that builds NativeScript. And NativeScript had a conference, there was a conference for NativeScript in Boston this past Monday and Tuesday, and it was a lot of fun. So there was about, um, I think, 120 people or, or so. There was a workshop day where we all kind of learned NativeScript, uh, if you haven't learned before, and um, then, you know, a number of different talks. I, I gave a talk and, uh, you know, a bunch of other people gave talks on just building mobile apps and other related topics. And, uh, sort of the, the interesting thing and part of the reason why I wanted to kind of bring it up was really interesting to see that they, um, even though native script isn't necessarily tied to angular, they have definitely made a kind of decision, um, whether it's subconscious or not, to really focus on Angular. You know, at all the talks, all of the workshop, everything was with Angular 2. Um, and it was really cool you know, to, to see actually quite a number of people who didn't know Angular before, didn't know NativeScript, kind of went there to learn. And in the workshops, you know, seeing how quickly they could pick up both. Uh, and the kind of question, I, I actually ended up being, uh, <laughs> for part of the workshop, like even though I was there as a kind of participant, a little bit of uh, helping with, with some of the stuff, but I pick it up pre pretty quickly. 
and see some of the power with both for building kind of native apps, you know, with JavaScript through um, trying to popularize the, the idea of calling it straight up like Angular native, just like React native. Uh, so there was some some people uh, good feedback to that. Some people that sort of into the idea because there are you know equivalents and. Um, even though it's a different technology, you know, same types of things they're using it for. Um, so anyway, it, it was a great conference, you know, great feedback. Uh, definitely encourage people. I, I am a big fan of, you know, progressive web apps. You, that should always be like a first option. And something like Ionic, um, you know, for a lot of companies just totally makes sense. But in my mind, like if you are, you know, because of the needs of your business, want to build a like native native app uh i would i mean in my mind it just makes sense to javascript and use something like native script or angular native so do any of you guys have you any of you guys tried native script before no i haven't well, what do you i talked to them at, at ngconf and kind of got tried to get an idea of it and see that but i haven't played with it um are you are those tracks from that conference online anywhere we could watch them? Your talk. Uh, they stuff? actually, yes. Yeah, so they haven't done it yet. Um, they, they are going to put them online, but uh, it, unlike I, I think with they live stream everything and then kind of um, get the videos up. I, from what I remember, pretty quickly, uh, most people it takes like a little bit of time to like do all the uh, background work of, and editing and whatever. So uh, they, they're going to get that up soon. So I'll, I'll put a, I'll add a link when it does go up on our page and tweet it out and all that type of stuff. So with NativeScript, as I understand, it's it's its own kind of template language, right? Wrapped mm-hmm. with Angular for the back end of it. Can you kind of give a brief overview of that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's a good question. I should should explain that. So the key part with native script is, I mean, the way I think about it is that there's sort of two parts to it. I mean, you're building essentially an Angular app, an Angular web app, the same exact thing, except for two things. One is that for the template, like you're actually using, it's almost as if you're using custom, like it'd be the same thing as if you're using a UI widget library. Like you're using somebody else's like elements. Like, so you wouldn't actually use divs at all. Like you, you would, uh, it's, it's as if you use all the custom components from somebody else. And it just happens to be that those components render to natively, you know, on mobile devices. Does that make sense? Yeah, so kind of like uh, how material design has its components that you can use. I mean, kind of a similar scenario, like you, you would do the MD button, yeah. but in this case you would do something that's a custom element from native script. Yes, exactly, exactly. And in fact, because it's set up that way, that's how um, Nathan Walker, who is an amazing developer, you know, uh, Angular developer, and he's been on the show before, um, to take the the syntax, like the actual uh, native script, and then have it work to the web. Because at the end of the day, all it is 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 just naming. You, you know, you name like a list box, let's say. So a list box, that's a thing, like a component defined in native script, which underneath the scenes, they are actually generating 
like binding in the mobile um, view. But if you use Nathan's library, he takes that same exact template syntax and just renders it to the web. Um, so that theoretically allows you to build um, an app with the native script bindings that can render either to native mobile or the web, which is pretty powerful. Um, but the one other thing, you know, I mentioned two things. The first thing, the template, and then the other thing is obviously the native-specific APIs. So if you want to use the gyroscope, you want to use anything like that. Um, but, but generally speaking, like, so this is one of these things that I'm, like, super interested in. And, um, like, I, I, I do believe I, I haven't gotten to the point of, like, actually having my app do all of this yet. But, like, especially I'm so inspired after, like, going to a conference that there is definitely a way to build this, like, holy grail app that, you know, you build it the same way, you know, um, that you can run in all these different places, including native mobile, including the web. Um, I even think, I was joking with Nathan, that we'll be able to take a native script app and render it on the web server using Angular Universal. I just got to put some work into that. But, okay. uh, which will be a kind of funny hodgepodge of different technologies altogether, but uh, be a good blog post, I guess. <clears throat> So, yeah, you just make the, make the time for that, right? Yeah, exactly. What were you going to say, Mike? Uh, with the uh, native script, essentially, there are custom, I know they're not specifically uh, components as there would be uh, with the web, uh, but using their native controls. Is the binding syntax all the same? So the brackets uh, for properties and the yep. parentheses for events. So it all looks the same. It's just different tag names. Yep, yep exactly. And, and I mean, like when you bootstrap it, you're, you are bootstrapping it with their bootstrap because ultimately, they, during the bootstrap process, they um, are using a different rendering engine in the same way as Angular Universal uses a different rendering engine. Um, they're using a different rendering engine. That's what takes the template and like outputs it to the actual you know mobile um, display. But uh, but yeah, no. But as far as bindings, all that works exactly the same. So in theory, in theory, you could write the same component with uh, the same TypeScript behind it, supporting it for the, to handle the different events, property setting, data calls um, behind the scenes, and just replace the view that has different bindings with different controls for the rendering of that. Yep, yep, exactly. And so the, the, what, what GetHuman, like my company, is doing for this is we are actually going to be building a native script app that we are going to have to run on the web as well. And so, you know, obviously we'll use like Nathan's library to like do the rendering on the web and, and kind of polyfill it with, you know, any stuff from anywhere, anywhere where there's gaps. But then in addition, um, you know, for the kind of na native specific API stuff for dealing with the kind of camera or gyroscope or whatever, where there's no equivalence on the web, um, that's just a matter of like, you know, and this will be part of this imaginary blog post that I'll probably never end up writing, uh, which is to... Uh, you, you, you just end up kind of abstracting that out using, you know, DI swapping so that mobile, it, it uses that mobile functionality. If it's on the web, you have some sort of alternative mechanism, you know, depending, I mean, it depends on what would you be trying to do. But using DI, you can basically very easily switch out to abstract out specific APIs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so then, um, is Nathan's library, is that something that, that's a platform change where at that level in your main TS or whatnot, before you bootstrap, you're starting this other platform like you do with the native script versus the 
so um, browser platform, or you do this other one. And so you're really like at that point, writing all your components and everything in this native script for its template. And then you're switching out at that level. Am I in a browser? Okay, I'm going to do this other platform that handles the native or I'm native. So I do the, the native script platform, right? It's same exact thing. Bootstrap is different. Bootstrap is different for each platform. And then any differences lower down in the tree, you push it down to a leaf level and have some sort of abstract class sitting on top of it that you kind of can switch between the two. Anyway, so that's that's basically going to be what I'm focused on, among other things. Actually, so uh, for my own uh, updates, like I, it was really just going to be that. And the, the one other thing in addition to like that sort of craziness and world of, of multi-platform apps and native script and whatever is, uh, you know, really getting into machine learning. It's one thing. So I, I was super excited that Carmen uh, is going to be talking at Angular Connect end of the day, the first day, about, you know, the stuff that she's been doing. And I couldn't wait, so actually I, I did a hangout session with her a couple weeks ago. We got into like this. She's basically building. I, I won't steal a thunder or whatever, but I don't think she minds to say that. I think she tweeted it out that she built her own kind of neural network, um, which is like amazing. Like, I mean, I, I can't even tell you like how crazy it is. Like somebody who's just starting out to to do something like that, which I'm sure she'll like totally underplay. So like right now, I'm telling you like when you hear her talking about this this is something that like people do not do normally. Like people will utilize TensorFlow, which is like a, a you know, software built by Google to, that has like all the machine algorithm, uh, net, neural network software kind of built within it, or like a cloud service like uh, Amazon machine learning or something like that. Drone is, is just kind of wacky. I mean, just because it's so complicated, it's, it, you really have to know it in depth. And so if you don't have experience, if you're not like this, uh, scientist, uh, it's like really onerous uh, getting into it. I, the math alone is just, uh, for me, like my eyes glaze over. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm interested in like everything, but like uh, that that math is really tough, but she was able to tackle it and, and build something amazing. So I'm super excited um, for her talk. And I, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything nearly like that, but I am trying to actually utilize machine learning, more of the cloud service um, approach in Amazon machine learning to uh, implement with our existing apps to add some kind of intelligence. Um, have you have you guys gotten into uh, any AI, AI or machine learning stuff yet? Um, I haven't, but I know that we use some of these at work because we work with uh, what we like to call big data. So you really need... Uh, some intelligent thing to filter through all of this. But I haven't touched this part. Yeah, I think I that's thought true. I, I... Go ahead, Justin. I thought of it from a writing perspective in stories that I've worked on and, and thinking about, you know, how, you know, from a, my programming logical side, like how does that truthfully play out in a fictional world, right? And like, and it's, it's intense to, to take your mind down that, you know, it's really a spider web of, you know, but then this whole it learning the spider web and it's just, it's crazy. It's really cool though. 
the the thing I'll just end on on this, just so that I don't I don't make everybody's eyes glaze over with, when you talk about this type of stuff, is that I do think that I I found is that there's still a pretty high level of complexity once you get into it, where most of the people that are utilizing the machine learning-based technologies out there are kind of the data scientist level. People basically do that as their main job. And you don't find many kind of web developers, like people who are just building applications. Um, they, they, they just look at it as like hooking to an API, right? I, I feel like this is like such an important thing and the technology is starting to get better and better and kind of get simpler from like the interface standpoint that it's sort of inevitable in my mind and something I've talk, I was talking with Carmen and, and um, uh, Christoph and some of the other people in the community about that like it's inevitable that I think programming in the future, like even if you're an app developer, this is going to be like a core competency skill that everybody's going to have to, you know, learn to some degree. Just like you have to, like, learn the quirky intricacies of the DOM, you sort of have to know some of these, like, core fundamental intricacies of, you know, machine learning, at least in order to be able to interact with it in an effective way. Um, Just because it's going to be so powerful, I I think it'll eventually be baked into a majority of the apps that we build. Uh, So at least non-trivial apps or whatever. Which is an interesting uh, thought to uh, bring in. Uh, being that one of the recent episodes uh, that I was part of with uh, GraphQL is kind of detaching yourself even more so from the back end rather than getting more involved of allowing the front end <laughs> to dictate uh, what data you're getting back and how that's being presented and kind of thinking about the back end less, uh, whereas this is more thinking about the back end more. Well, look, I, there's, uh, I totally get that. I, I think that there's this fantasy and it was not fancy. Basically, this idea of just being able to isolate yourself and just focus on one thing, and there is some power in that, for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I just never prescribed to that way of thinking because I've always found that even though it's harder, when you do have people working with you that do understand kind of the full stack, there's just the things that you are able to create are just like uh, orders of magnitude better. Um, even though like, I understand how it's in some ways nicer, this idea of kind of isolating yourself to just know web tech and nothing else. Um, I don't know. I, I guess like that's a, more of like a philosophical thing. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a much bigger show. And then, I mean... Yeah, it sounds like another show. Yeah, I mean, it, while it's good to have those different skill sets of the different areas of technology, it's also not a bad idea to specialize in one particular area where you can focus and get down to the nitty gritty in those details and uh, really hone that craft, but at the same time, be aware of what else is going on. Yeah, no doubt. I, I, I think you, the ideal for me is that you are a specialist in one thing, but that you are aware of these other areas, aware enough to be able to intelligently kind of, you aren't kind of isolated. I, I guess the thing that I fight back against is this idea where it's like total black box that you don't have no idea whatsoever what's occurring on the other end. And that's where I, I, I've seen it lead to trouble. But uh, no, I, no, nobody can be expert at everything. I mean, you got to focus on one thing that's your main thing, um, it, which is why I'm saying that, like, I, I, right now I feel like for machine learning, it's a total black box. For, for and even, like, like Olivier is working with it. It's a black box. I mean, he admitted to that, right? I, I think it's mm-hmm. got to move a little bit more in the direction of, 
at least having some awareness. I, I'm not saying you're an expert all of a sudden in these like crazy um, math al- algorithms, but that you at least understand what's going on enough to intelligently kind of interact with it in a better way. On that note, uh, we are at the top of the hour. Let's quickly get to picks. Mike, actually, you're still here. Why don't you go first? I am, yeah. I had to turn off the video. Uh, kids run around me. Um, but uh, I have one pick. Uh, it's a library that I started to use called NG2DND, which is a drag-and-drop library, which is rather simple um, implementation to be able to drag and move things around your application uh, across components and uh, throughout your uh, application. Uh, specify what you can drag, where you can drop it, and you're off and running. I was, uh, I had a 10th level cleric once that was the coolest thing ever, and I, I was so sad that I lost my um, my hit sheet. Uh, maybe I'm using the wrong terms. It's been a long time. But yeah, you know, I, I, love, I thought love that was going to help us roll some D20s. I was getting kind of excited, but this still sounds cool. Drag and drop. <laughs> yeah, it's very helpful. Uh, I really need it as part of my application rather than having to write that natively. Uh, there's a nice little library out there that uh, is concise, and that's all it focuses on. And as of yesterday or today, it's actually one of those libraries that got updated to two o. So it's a two o final. Josh, what do you got? So I'm gonna. Do a last plug for Angular Connect. So uh, just to let you guys know that if you aren't able to make it, we're going to be posting the link to the live streams on the homepage of our website um, on the day. So you can click there and watch the live streams. And also we'll link back to the videos that once they're live as well. Um, you can view the schedule on the website as well. So that's anglerconnect.com. Cool. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Justin. So I've got another NG2D star thing, NG2D3, uh, which is a library for doing D3 plus Angular 2, composable, reusable charting framework. Uh, Olivia knows a little bit about that. Austin as well, NG Panda, and several other contributors. So it's pretty cool for doing charting. Uh, you guys should check that out. Um, and then my other pick is uh, on Angular Zone on the webinar, uh, just the other day, Pascal was on there talking about NG module and Angular 2. I think he just did an amazing job of really breaking down uh, the metadata in there, the usage, all the way down to lazy loading of them and routing and all this stuff. And just in a concise period, covered a lot of great information of teaching what the NG module does and how, and how to use it. So you guys need to check that out too. That's my other pick. Angular Zone, what is this? I'm, I'm looking at their thing. It looks like it's a, a video podcast about Angular. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Has some good content. What I think is going to happen, I'm going to, after this podcast is over, I'm going to talk to my boys about uh, maybe combining efforts here. This, uh, I, I like what they're doing. I think we should be doing it together. We'll see about that. All right. Olivier, what do you got? Um, so my pick is for the, the duck team. Um, I've joined them to work on the French uh, translation of the documentation. Um, I've been working on the, international, on the internationalization game. And I can tell you that they work really hard every day to bring you uh, good quality guides and docs for Angular 2. So 
I really wanted to say thanks to them, even if they are kind of invisible because they don't sign with their name. Um, yeah, um, I can tell you uh, on Slack that they are talking all day about how uh, we can make ng module uh, more understandable and how you can uh, use the latest concept of uh, AOT and Webpack and CLI and stuff like that. So um, I really want to thank them for their work. Yeah, I definitely second that. Those guys are awesome. Um, okay, and I just have one link. Uh, there was a bunch of back and forth speaking of Slack on the GD Slack about um, you know the big rage is obviously progressive web apps, or well, one of the big rages, I guess. And uh, a lot of guys giving talks on those. So we uh, noticed um, there was basically one GD in particular that put together. Um, a great GitHub repo with just like a bunch of G, uh, progressive web app resources. So if you want to know more about progressive web, web apps, this is definitely the place to do it. I will uh, include the link on that. It's um, his, his username, uh, GitHub username is Hermanth, H-E-M-A-N-T-H, uh, and it's awesome-pwa is the, uh, the repo name. So I'll, I'll post that as well. So uh, we are going to be live at Angular Connect next week, and then we come back and we have uh, a big schedule planned for the next like two months that I'm going to probably will not publish until after <laughs> Angular Connect because there's so many other things going on right now. Um, but there's a lot of great shows coming, so definitely uh, watch out for that. All right, great to see everyone today, uh, and hopefully, if you guys. Anyone listening is adding your connect, definitely come talk to Olivier, talk to me. Olivier wants to have you on camera. So yeah. Uh, I'll bring my, my Angular hair to show. If it's not yes. too cold, you can find me like that. Alright guys. Have a good one. See ya. Bye. See you guys. Bye.